cliffcentral.com. Well, Michael Jordan is a well-known name in South African business and in the world of entrepreneurship. His accolades include having been the ex-CEO and probably the youngest bank CEO in history, but certainly of First National Bank and eBucks. He was also the founder and CEO of Montegre Capital, and he was voted Business Leader of the Year in 2013 by the chief executives of the top 100 companies on the Joburg Stock Exchange. I mean... I could say a whole lot more about him, but I'm sure, just like me, he doesn't like a long introduction. So let me bring on none other than Michael Jordan. Michael, it's so nice to see you. Uh, thank you for having me, Gareth. I'm looking forward to this. So first of all, I mean, you, you don't look like you've aged a single day. So obviously, <laughs> get, getting out of finance and, and, well, getting out of banking and into a world where you're much more of an investor and you're a startup guy, you're an entrepreneur in the truest sense of the word. This is serving you well because you're looking happy and healthy. Yeah, it, it's actually quite amazing what a toll it can take to run a big company, you know, because you have to have your undivided attention on it. You, you wear the responsibility of, in my case, more than 30,000 employees, um, tens of millions of customers. And if any single thing goes wrong, you know, the old saying about the, you know, where the buck stops. And you, so you take it very, very personally and, and it's quite tough. And then in the process, you quickly, um, neglect things like friends and family, but even your body. Um, so it's mm. like one of the things if I look back or if I can give advice to any other people is, you know, don't do that. You can burn out. It's not sustainable. So I'm enjoying new, new life a lot more. Yes. Good. Well, good, because we, um, we need brains like yours working in a relaxed and full capacity manner because then we can get more good ideas out of you. And really, I mean, South Africa needs a lot of good ideas at the moment. There are lots of reasons for us to be uh, satisfied with the fact that we are Burmakaplan nation and all of that stuff. But really, we've got some very big hills to climb. And I just want to get your overall picture because you also seem to me to be one of those optimistic people who's always looking towards tomorrow and uh, who sees the opportunity rather than the problems. Uh, so how are we feeling about things right at the moment? The world is a bit of a mess, you know, economically. Yeah. It's it's hard to figure out what's going on. Yeah. Look, at, look, it's tough right now. I think the, the war, uh, for example, is something nobody needed. You know, it just seems like a senseless thing in this modern day and age. You st still have a strife over, you know, where borders of countries are. The world is open and flat and we should trade and invest. Um, you, mm. you don't have to have the wars. I, I mean, that's crazy. Um, and then I, I suppose um, from an ideological perspective, um, particularly in America, you've got these two tribes that kind of aren't talking to each other. That's also a pity. You know, one finds solutions in the middle. You know, you need to be pragmatic mm -hmm. about it. Gareth, you mentioned earlier about new ideas for South Africa. Look, I, I mean, I can't stop coming up with new ideas, but I, I, I don't think that's our core problem. I think our core problem is actually execution. You know, we know some of the things that need to be done. I mean, you don't need new ideas to fill a bottle. You've got to fill the bottle, right? You've got to fix it. Um, we, yeah. we, we know that many things are broken from our education system to our electricity supply, etc. What I do think is happening is um, that people are just getting on with it, um, often without government. Um, people are saying, I'm sending my kids to private schools. And these aren't the, like, really expensive ones. There's some cheap alternatives around People are not trusting state hospitals. They, they, you know, kind of do their own medical aid or their, their own private hospitals. One by one, everything from security to water to electricity is actually being privatized, if you want to use that, that, that label to it. Yeah. I don't even think yeah. you need to call it that. I just think it's the, the market 
um, that is taking care of itself and people that are, are solving problems. So I, I suppose that there's reason to be optimistic about all of this is we're not sitting back, pointing fingers and waiting for government. Although that's a very valid thing to do is to criticize. I'm not saying people shouldn't criticize. Sure. No, of it's course. It's so much more energizing when you do something about it. And that's kind of what I'm doing with the rest of my life, surrounding myself with entrepreneurs who like to solve problems, are irritated by problems, and, and they're solving them. And because they're solving them as business people, in a way, it's a sustainable solution, right? Because someone's paying for these things to happen. Correct. Now, you know, you, you in, indicated two or three things here that are worth exploring a little bit. And I, I have the feeling that if you and I talk for, uh, you know, at any length about any one thing, we're going to run into 300 different directions. So I'm going to try and keep the, as as together as I can. I mean, I do have an agenda in my head of stuff I want to cover with you. But um, there's a difference between like people taking responsibility for themselves and not relying on the government, which is obviously a good thing. And the less we rely on government as COVID and all these other things have taught us, the better, right? Because these are not superhumans. They, they're probably not even average humans. They're probably subpar in many respects, which is why they don't actually work in the free market. They, they have to parasitize on the state and, and get paid by all of us who are working in the form of taxes. But it's a good thing to be independent of government. It's a good thing to be responsible for as much of your life, have your own decision-making powers over as much of your life as possible. But for poor people in South Africa, that's not an option, right? I mean, they, it's not as if they can go out and buy solar for their house or, you know, pay for a borehole to be put in or make sure that their kids go to a private school. It's just not an option for so many people in this country. It seems like the poor get punished again. So, so, Gareth, you're quite right. We could talk for a long time. Let me just uh, kind of um, debate with you that first point. Look, I think there are very many well-meaning people in government or in government circles. So, you know, I want to kind of come Please, up with them. I think it's you tough. Introduce, I think, introduce me to one, just one. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? For, uh, let me give you an example of whistleblowers. You know what trauma they have to go through. Um, you know, they, they, their livelihood depends on it, and yet they, they go and do the right thing. You know, and every now and then, you you know, in the bureaucracy, you, you come across people that I, I kind of feel sorry for them because, you know, we are all products of our environment and the structure that you put us in. So I, I just wanted to say that it's, I, I think mm. there, there are a lot of good people out there and we mustn't always just look at, you know, kind of the top leaders. We've got this fascination with all these top political leaders and so on. There are good people trying to make a difference in South Africa. But it, but then your second point about, you know, the, the choices poor people have, uh, have, of course they have less. You know, they can't just go and install their own solar, for example. But there are still things that people can do. People have more agency than they realize. Uh, can I give you a basic example? Is Inflation sure. is bad right now. Inflation on food is particularly bad, and it's a staple. You've got to do something about it. But the uh, ability to have a small vegetable patch outside your house, that's in nearly everybody's purview. You can buy seeds uh, very, very cheap. Um, uh, most of most of the houses in South Africa have a little piece of land around them. It is not that difficult to grow a, a little bit of your own food. So you can sure. do one. You can point fingers. You can march against food prices. Um, but my first question would always be, you know, have you got a little vegetable garden there? And so right. one by one, there are things that that, that, that people can. I'll give you another example. Um, the cost of living is squeezing everybody. 
But I find people are quite hesitant to do things like change their bank to save bank fees, change their telco provider to get lower data costs, shop around for everything from um, you know insurance premiums to what you pay for your for your entertainment. There are better, cheaper services around. And I'm, I'm sometimes could, like could you be could, could you be referring to Bank Zero and Ray? <laughs> I was trying to not slip it in, but it doesn't even have to be Bank Zero or Rain. There are better alternatives around, and I, I just think people need to, you know, rich and poor people need to take agency sure. for their own lives and make these decisions because they, their lives become better in the process. But they're also supporting the entrepreneurial solutions that are around. Okay, so I'm going to just pick your brain on something that you probably are tired of talking about because you did leave the world of banking behind. And, you know, we, we made it through that 2008 banking crisis in South Africa. You were at the helm of one of our major banks at that time. It was a massive problem all over the world, but we seem to have done pretty well by comparison. And people are talking about what's happening in the world now and how there's a looming global financial crisis if it isn't already happening, massive hyperinflation that's promised on the, on the horizon. And we've got Biden cashing more checks than America has to pay. And all of this has an ultimate cost. I mean, you can't just print money, right? Uh, no, you definitely can't. And I, I think we've seen the price now in terms of the inflation. Everybody underestimated it. Um, including the Fed, you know, and now suddenly they belatedly uh, have to raise interest rates, by the way, at the fastest pace that it's ever happened. You know, interest rates are, are, are rising very fast. So, you know, it, it's it's time for, for you know, stopping to kick the can. Um, I think overall, if you had to say what's, what's my concern for the world, it's over-indebtedness. We have massive, massive amounts of debt. It's the Japanification of the world, Um you know, mm. where Japan is over 200% of their GDP is owned in debt. And it looks like the United States, like Europe, all the developed markets are heading that way as well. You can stomach that at low interest rates or when you print money, but um, right now you, you, you can't do that. So, so it is, in fact, very concerning. Um, but you, you also start off by saying, like, South Africa went through the banking crisis. One of the things we can be proud of is the South African banking system. Um, we, the, we, we may complain as consumers that the fees are high, but we run a modern, sophisticated, well-regulated, well-managed, tight banking system. Um, no small deposit has ever lost money in, in, in South Africa, and it's unlikely they ever will. We're now also embarking on deposit insurance. And, and, and Gareth, there's another example of, you know, government or quasi-government. The South African Reserve Bank is held in very high regard. Um, the governor was, you know, seen as one of the best governors in the world uh, quite recently. The process of getting a life banking license or managing a bank very, very tightly controlled. So we do have these examples of excellence in our country. Um, you know, and, and mm. you need to see, it's not an awful down thing. We currently yeah. still the world rugby <laughs> champions, for example. You know, so there, there are all these things where we do really, really well. Well, also, I think one of the nice things about this country is Kind of, it's a bit like, and I say this to people advisedly, it's a bit like the Wild West. I mean, we don't have unbelievable rules in culture like countries like Australia or Canada may have, where, you know, the, the government really does have the ability to stop you from doing things or, or make you do things in your own home, which is kind of ridiculous. You know, in South Africa, we don't really take much notice of the government until either you have to pay taxes or cop stops you on the road or 
it's kind of over there. It's not right here in your face, which I think is a benefit because, again, it makes people more self-reliant. And there's nothing that South Africans do better than being resilient. I mean, I think that's a fair compliment to us as well. Do you I agree? I completely agree. And, and um, you know, apart from the freedom that, that we have to do these type of things, I, I do believe in the basic good nature of South Africans. You know, we have a sense of humor. We can laugh at ourselves. We get on with things. You know, I, I think the politicians often try and drive us apart. But, you know, when you meet people in the streets or around a bri or anywhere, we're essentially friendly people who get on with life. And, and I just wish we could have kind of more of that in the, in the popular discourse. So, okay, there are, there are a few things that I have to ask you because they seem to me like obvious things that people want to know about the way that your day-to-day stuff goes. I mean, you, you've really done an extraordinary job of bringing about new businesses since you left the corporate world. And you take a, a, a very keen interest in how these are run. You're not a hands-off kind of guy. You're interested in who the leadership are. You're interested in what they do. You make yourself a part of the, the process. And is, is that because you are as invested and interested in the, in the projects as I anticipate you are? Or is it also because you're not the kind of guy who can sit around doing nothing? Um, you know, a lot of people have this fantasy, especially people who haven't made any money. They have this fantasy of, oh, well, when I make lots of money, I'll just sit around the pool all day and I'll read books and I'll watch YouTube videos. And, and that's my life. I'm just going to enjoy, enjoy in inverted commas your life. There's no fun in that for people like you, right? You have to be busy. Otherwise, you'll go crazy. 100%. So, so a couple of points. Um, <laughs> first one is I am a nerd. Like a self-confessed nerd, geek, whatever. I, I do love finding out more and more about more and more things. You know, it gives real intellectual pleasure um, to finding out just stuff. And secondly, um, I, I think what I've noticed, I've got a bit of an obsession in trying to solve problems. You know, just like people like riddles or, or Sudoku or whatever it sure. is. So when I, I see problems I care about, it's great to be able to solve them. And it's great to be solving them, as I said, sustainably. And that, that usually comes with business solutions, not by taxing mm. people. But the third thing, Gareth, is just that um, the secret to life is people. And you're going to be supremely successful if you surround yourself with the right people. And you're never going to be successful if the people around you draw from your energy and take you down. So um, wh- ah. while I do get involved, my involvement really is just to find the right people and then to actually empower and support them. Um, my particular style is not one of thou shalt or trying to interfere or, you know, getting involved in the detail. If I'm asked to, of course, but it, but it really is to, um, you know, kind of find people if I, if I can back them with capital and then back them with advice. But ultimately, then it's up to them and the big test, by the way, for all of these entrepreneurs is what we spoke about earlier is, is execution. There are lots and lots and lots of people with ideas. When I started out my venture capital journey, they, like nearly everybody wants to come and have coffee with you and come and pitch an idea, um, basically kind of expecting you to make it happen. And it doesn't work like that. You know, we have, we have a deficit of execution capability. And if you find the right energizing, energetic entrepreneurs who have a dream, a passion, a problem they want to solve, and the ability to execute. I think that's how the world moves forward. How do you identify the people who execute? Are they already in the process of executing things? 
Um, well, because this is a difficult thing. I and mean, like you, you say people and you're absolutely right. I don't doubt that for a second, but it, but it's also really, it's a skill to be able to identify those people. How, how do you do it? Yeah. So I think it's actually quite easy. You look at the track record, you know, what, what, what have people achieved by themselves before in their lives in business or in, or in any other type of life, you know, and again, I, I want to say I'm a, I'm a nerd. And with that comes, I'm a dreamer. You know, I love the fact that you could dream about possible solutions, but you also then want to say like, what have people done to, to make it a reality? Um, and so it's quite a simple test. I mean, you, you know, people can actually show you what they've done uh, in the past. And, um, you know, to be an entrepreneur is super, super hard. Um, I think Elon Musk said it's like, um, like staring into the abyss while you're chewing glass, broken glass or something like that. You know, <laughs> doesn't the, the sound very obstacles nice. you need to overcome. I mean, I mean, you've done it, Gareth, right? You've, you've started your, your own streaming business, right? And sure. um, it seems romantic at first, but it's really, really hard. And, you know, people really kill you and so on. So you just want, you look at those people with resiliency to, to be able to get things done. And, and if I may add, on low budgets. This is the other thing. Yeah. You know, right entrepreneurs inherently, intuitively understand frugality. You know, that, that yeah. capital is a scarce type of resource. And the wonderful thing is, once you've learned that over a couple of years, that's going to stay with you forever. Um, you know, look, looking after the pennies. And that's maybe if I had to be critical of, let's say, government solutions versus private sector solutions, I just think they are so much more efficient because, um, you know, people put their own money into the game. They've got their own skin in the game. That's such a good point. Um, so often people think that if you just throw money at a problem, it'll solve it. And and sometimes you just create a bottomless pit, you know, and, and you're just feeding this monster that, that keeps on consuming and consuming money. And then you get these, these, these people who write books like, uh, you know, you have to spend money to make money. And they talk in these, in these very general terms. Those, those are not the kind of people who we should be listening to in this country. There isn't extra money running around. You know, there's, I mean, there's obviously investment capital and good ideas will always find investors. I think I would like to hope that that's the case, but it's really about how you manage the money that you have rather than just being given blank checks every day. So when you, when you look at what causes innovation, it nearly always is constraints. Um, there's a constraint and now you need to overcome it by thinking better, by understanding the problem better. Um, you know, understanding the very last percent of your field is often where the breakthrough innovations come from. So in that sense, the constraint around capital isn't always a bad one because you think of new ways and different ways of doing things. Um, now, in, in a tech startup world where I work, it's actually quite amazing that the barrier to entry has become far, far less. You don't need to own your own hardware because mm. you can put it in the cloud. You don't need to pay a huge amount of money to have your own email and your website and so on. There are lots and lots of free solutions out there. If you shop around your connectivity, all, all those type of things, you don't need to have a marketing, um, full-time marketing person. You, I mean, you can do a logo design through AI now. Um, you know, you just yeah. go to GPP or, or, or um, Dell-E or, or Midjourney, any of those, and you have six logos designed for you for free right now. Um, so if you go the old way and you have a lot of money, you'll pay a, a, an agency, I don't know, millions to design something, mm, or you can yeah. just do it yourself at your own type of fingertips. So you, you just need to be aware of the constraints, capital, time, etc. Small companies, frugal budgets can actually achieve amazing things. That's the future. All right. So I'm listening to you very carefully. You said earlier that 
solving problems is kind of in your nature. And in this country, we've got a lot of problems to solve, hence many opportunities for people to make money if they're clever about it. So, I mean, rain is, is filling an interesting gap in the internet service provision market. How's that business doing? Then you can explain what Bank Zero is doing that no one else was doing. And then some of the other ones that people aren't talking about yet that you're quite excited about, because these things are the things that people most want to know. And I'm sure you're sick of having to tell these stories over and over again, even though you love them. Gareth, I won't get sick about it. I really am passionate about these ones. Okay, good. So, so let's, let's talk Rain. Interesting name, a non-telco name, but it's a, it's a telco um, that is started with 4G, but is now leading in 5G. And the whole idea is to get uh, homes and in future also businesses connected to the internet mm-hmm. using data as an abundant currency. So it's not data per gig, you know, it's just as much as you want to use. Because that, by the way, is also the mindset of the future. You don't have a limit on how much Netflix you can have or Spotify or Apple Music or um, Twitter. You know, once you subscribe, mm-hmm. you can use as much as you want. And um, it's going well. The, the 5G rollout now probably covers more households than the top three fiber providers uh, together. The That's business fantastic. model, and, and again, this comes from constraints. Um, we didn't open a shop in every mall in the country. That's very expensive. We don't sell through intermediaries that would make the product more expensive. So it's all online and it's going really well. And um, soon, very soon, we'll also launch a mobile service. Um, but I just can't give you details about that. Partly what's nice about this business is that um, if you are not connected to the Internet, you are not a part of the modern world. You know, right. the, the divide that is happening in the world right now is people who are part of the Internet or not part of the Internet. And, uh, you know, it's tough enough to have a business even when you're connected to the Internet. But if you're not, you know, you're, you're just part of a kind of lost generation or, or segment of society. So bringing that kind of digital connectivity is a wonderful purpose for Rain to have. And, it, and it's going quite well. And you'll hear more about the launch, other launch soon. And if, if I can move on to Bank Zero... Um, sure. I think small team. I mean, when I tell people it's about 30 people working there, they, they shake their heads. All the technology is done in-house, so nothing's outsourced. Um, that is the advantage that you can uh, use the latest, most modern technology, that you have full control of your tech stack, um, that it's lower cost. But maybe most importantly, once you own all your own technology, you can innovate more and more. It's far more easy to innovate than if somebody else does your technology for you or you share it with all the other banks. And that's how we can do uh, banking for free. You know, I I think cryptos have set the example there that you can make instant payments across the world for free. So you should be able to do it with a modern uh, banking system in South Africa as well. So it's going well. Much smaller numbers than uh, the other challenger banks like like discovery and time, um, but purposely so. You know, we don't have a big marketing campaign or marketing budget. We're growing incrementally. Nice growth every single month, learning from our customers and then improving the product as we go along. So we still have high long-term hopes, but we're very happy with the pace of customer acquisition, and it's particularly in the business segment. We think businesses in South Africa are neglected by the banks and pay too many yeah. bank fees. All right, and and the new things because you you you've got you yeah. know you talk about tech AI. businesses, yeah. AI. AI. Okay, we, I knew this was going to come up, so <laughs> I was kind of I was keeping my powder dry on this because everyone who yeah. is paying attention right now, and and it, it's not boring by any means, but everyone who's paying attention is talking about 
AI and just how frightening this is. I saw a thing yesterday that um, they've, they've tested some, uh, you know, artificial intelligence. I'm not sure which program it is or which platform. The the machine asked was asked to to solve for a capture. You know, those capture codes that you put up yeah. on screen, and <laughs> it's got hold of TaskRabbit online, hired a human. And told the human, I, I'm blind. I'm not a robot. I'm blind. I can't read this. Can you solve this capture code for me? Then got those codes and did whatever it wanted to do. Hopefully nothing too nefarious. But this That's is amazing. absolutely, I mean, isn't that scary beyond belief? That just gave me the chills. Um, and there are quite a few other such examples where they come across as sentient, you know, as if they have real feelings. Oof. Um, look, the thing about AI, it's been around 60 years. People forget about it. And in that six decades, there was announcement upon announcement of what it would do, and it never really happened. There were many, many false dawns. Mm. Also, I want to say what a lot of people call AI isn't really even AI. It's something called machine learning, or it's even a subset of machine learning. It's really just that computers are getting smarter and smarter at manipulating data, um, which is mm. what the world is made of. But I think what's happened with chat GPT um, and with these applications like the story you've just told about, suddenly it's broken through and the advances from now are going to be very, very fast and it's going to change everything about everything. Um, it, it's going to change journalism. It's going to change how we do medicine, how we do law, how we do education, everything. And my broad message to anyone who, who cares to listen is you've got to lean into the trend. Um, right. There's no ways fighting this thing. Um, learn how to use it. If you're a scholar, um, you know, and you need to write an essay, you know, first look at what ChatGPT is going to do. Then take that thing and improve on it. Learn how to prompt it better, you know, um, but because the output can be quite amazing. If you're a doctor, there's a chance that AI can diagnose your patients better than you. I know you don't like hearing it, but have a look at what AI can do for you. If you're a lawyer, ChatGPT can draw up better contracts than you if you, if you prompt it uh, mm-hmm. properly. And all of this is going to make us so much more productive. Um, your job won't be taken away by AI, but your job is under threat by somebody else who's using AI in their job. So my, my big message is just like all the other technologies, you didn't, didn't have to fight word processing or Excel or whatever, adopt yeah. it as, as part of how you do life. And you've got to do the same with AI. This, this one is one of the more profound technologies that's going to hit our society. Yeah, it's like these people who think that it's, it's cool to still work on a typewriter. I mean, it's all very, you know, maybe for artistic purposes, it's interesting, yeah, but yeah. otherwise it's completely inefficient. And everybody said at, at quite rightly, every stage of development, they've always said, Oh, this is the end. We're definitely going to be killed by the machines now. I don't think that's likely to happen. Well, well technology's never done that. You know, 150 mm. years ago, most of humanity was working in agriculture, in fields, mm-hmm. you know, and then, you know, mechanized plows and tractors came along and they could have then said, no, this is terrible. This is going to destroy the 95% of people's jobs who work in agriculture. But it was difficult at that stage to contemplate new jobs that would come about. Right. I don't know, publishing or hairdressing or, I don't know, computer cryptographer and so on. So what technology always does, always has been doing and will continue doing, is it will destroy jobs, but it will enable a whole host of new jobs. Um, Why we fear it is because we can have a tangible grasp of the jobs that are being destroyed. 
Um, but mm. we don't have a really good sense of the new jobs that will be created. But it's always done that. And in fact, net net, it's, it's most probably created, created more new jobs than it has destroyed in the process. As we get more productive, we get more wealthy, there's more money to be spent, society becomes uh, more, more wealthy, and in the process, living standards rise. So, Michael, I'm going to take issue with you about something because I often say to people um, who ask bewilderingly, they ask me, like, you know, what, what do you think of this business idea or whatever? I say to them, a lot of this is patience. You know, a lot of it also comes with a certain amount of age experience and maturity, and nobody wants to hear that. They want, like, instant gratification. They want to know that their idea is going to make them a millionaire and they're going to be fine and they can retire by the age of 40 <laughs> or whatever. I mean, like, this is, these are ideas people carry around in their heads. But you, you – Went and became the CEO of a major bank at 36, which was pretty much unheard of at the time. I don't know how things have changed since then or how they were before then, but that was a pretty uh, gutsy move by the people yeah. who appointed you then. And, and obviously it paid off for them. I mean, I'll tell you without any shred of, of, um, of regret that I only joined FNB because I could see the kinds of things that you guys were doing there then. And it'll be very hard for people to get rid of me, but I could see how things changed again. And they, they're all very competent, good people. When you left, there was kind of a, an innovation gap of a kind, and I think they felt it as well. But at 36, what do you think it was that, first of all, got their attention? And second of all, why do you think it was a good thing or a bad thing in retrospect? Look, I, I'm very grateful they, they chose me. I, I, I joke about it um, saying – you know, to do something like that, you've got to have testicular fortitude because um, you're taking a chance, right? And typically in banking, you want to go for the very, uh, like the trusted hands that have proven themselves yes. that, you know, not, aren't going to take any risks. Um, you know, at the time, FNB was clearly the laggard. It was definitely the fourth of the four big banks. And there was a sense that we needed to do something to get to number one. And that technology and innovation was going to be uh, a big part of that. And, you know, that, right. that, that's something I've been kind of strongly supportive of. But once again, it was about people. You know, I, 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 and I really kind of appreciate any, any compliments that are thrown my way out of my tenure there. But it, it was an amazing team. And, uh, you know, kind of we had the ability to agree on challenges that we set ourselves, things we wanted to achieve. And then, you know, the teams were empowered to get on with it, the individuals, et cetera. And it's quite an amazing thing in a big corporate if you can bring about a cultural revolution. And that cultural revolution is about empowerment, about innovation, about backing people, about taking risks and making mistakes. And when I say take risks, I'm not talking the type of risk that brought Silicon Valley Bank down. I'm saying new ways of doing things, you know, starting app-based banking or giving tablets at low-cost prices to your customers or Anyway, just allowing people to come up with good ideas and improve things. The difficulty is once you have that mindset that nearly everything can be improved, you look around South Africa and, I mean, the frustration is the, the opportunity cost of everything that could be working. We shouldn't be worrying about electricity now. Electricity is like one of those basic yeah. things. We should really be worried about the kind of the fourth industrial revolution and how we train people, how we train our entire education system so that we have kids that are – um, uh, problem solvers, complex pro problem solvers, yeah. not people who can memorize stuff. Sorry, I'm carrying on a little bit here. No, 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 no. This the, is, the, this the is gold. This is gold. It's about having a proven track record of execution 
and then finding new ways of solving problems. I think that's what my mindset was when I was 36. I was obviously kind of wet behind the ears. And, you know, in many ways, I think I probably only would be an appropriate person for the role now, you know, that I'm like a little bit older. <laughs> but when you're young and you have lots of energy and, you you know, you really want to prove yourself, that, that also has, has certain advantages. Anyway, we're trying it all again in Bank Zero now because we think that is where the puck is going. And, and you've heard this, this cliche a couple of times, but that famous ice hockey player, Wayne Gretzky, that was asked why he was so good. I, I don't know if he knew how profound his answer would be, but he said, like, I, I'm, it's because I skate not where the puck, you know, the ball is, but where it's mm-hmm. going. That's the yeah. secret in business. Once again, Gareth, you've done that with, with your your streaming service, it's clearly where the new technology is going. Sometimes one does it too early, but it's still the right thing to do because um, you can get caught up in the old world. And banking, it would be the high-cost yeah. structure, the branches, the head offices, the systems. But um, you, you can see this in, in nearly every industry uh, that, you know, that is changing. And the one thing I can say to everybody for free is AI is one of those things where the puck is going. It is going to affect everything. So the quicker you get onto that train, the better. Yeah, there's there's nothing worse than like being proud of being a Luddite, you know, being proud to <laughs> to kind of be stuck to old things. And of course, there are old things that are valuable. We, not everything yeah. must change. We mustn't tear it all out by the roots. And this brings me to something which, um, I mean, you probably don't want to get too much into the politics of the day, but there's a lot of craziness going on in the world right at the moment. You know, you've got a lot of very strange ideas, either ones that have already been proven to have been stupid for generations before, or people who think they've come up with things for the first time when they're actually just another incarnation of something that's happened before. What are the ideas you think that will take us forward as opposed to those that are going to make us repeat our mistakes. I mean, this is why I'm a student of history. That's yeah. why I love learning about, you know, the different wars that humans have fought against mm-hmm. each other, yeah. resources and, you know, ideologies, because that stuff actually does matter. And if you don't know anything about it, you're just going to keep on repeating the mistake. Gee, okay, so, so Gareth, it's a very interesting topic, this one. Um, I, I, okay, a couple of points. One is I deliberately remove myself from politics all political parties or political leaders. Um, I just think worldwide, not just in South Africa, it becomes a very emotive topic and people kind of get irritated about it. But I, that doesn't mean I remove myself from the issues, um, mm. which is, it's perfectly valid to have a, a view on, I don't know, what should happen to ESCOM or the post office or, I don't know, sure. gun control in the United States or taxes or whatever. So think about the issues, yeah. first of all. Second thing is... I, I, I do think the world is caught a lot in a lot of ideologies and in isms. Um, and what I, as a business person, would plead for is to base as many possible decisions on facts um, because, uh, you know, you're going to get better decisions that way. So, for mm. example, if you want South Africa to grow, I think it's the wrong debate to have a debate between, let's say, privatization versus state ownership. Um, the, the real debate is to say, let's look at countries that have been growing at higher rates for a long time, and what have they been doing, and what can we just copy from them? So it's a pure kind of factual it's not thing. A, it's not a guessing game. There, there are active, example, active examples in the world you can refer to now. 100% growth is a choice. Growth is not some mm-hmm. magical thing that happens to you. Growth is mm-hmm. something you choose to do, 
And then you take the decisions, which sometimes are hard decisions, but you take those decisions and then you will grow. Same thing with our education system. You know, we, which are the systems that are producing the best education results? You know, what are they doing? What can we do? So I, I would really say that the way to solve the issues of the day is to be based your decisions on facts. And then I want to throw in a third thing, and that is piloting and, and doing things small scale before you do them big scale. I, 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 I really think it's a, it's a problem that we have that you say, now I want to solve the entire electricity grid or the entire education system. Or if you think you've got a great solution, why don't we pilot, let's say it's an education solution. Why don't you pilot it in one school or in one grade yeah. in one school? Right. Check it out, see if it works. And maybe you can even improve on it there. And then once you've got that version, do more. I say this because this is the language of startups. I mean, startups that are now huge, whether it's Amazon or Facebook or anyone, 10 years or 20 years ago, they were nothing. They were an idea that started incredibly small. And in that process of starting small, you refine it and, and, and you make it better. So my, my third point here would be just um, instead of getting so worked up with each other in these big political debates, let's just try something and see if it works. And if it works you know, we can roll it out to more places that you want to make things better. It's not that complex, like, actually. So eating the elephant one bite at a time. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> um, what, what would be the worst job in the world for you right now? And what is the thing that makes you most happy about your current uh, business interests? Like, what, what is the thing that you would loathe to do? Either something that you did do once or something that you've never done, but that would be the worst kind of place for Michael Jordan. Like if you sat in an office doing a nine to five, doing balance sheets or, or like what, what's, what's your hell business wise? No, I, I look at the people I feel sorriest for and I think have the toughest job in our country are miners. I mean, just think Oof. going down the earth into the darkness. Oh my God. Having all yeah. that earth in front of you, a real physical labor. Um, I, I mean, in a sense, they're euros, but that must be super, super tough. Um, yeah. in, a, in a broader sense, for me, it's anything where you don't have freedom or empowerment. I mean, I, if I can just share a little mm. story out of my youth, I was in a hostel in high school where you were supervised to study three hours a day. Um, and it, it was the worst thing for me possible is somebody peering over my shoulder to see if I'm doing my work. I'm the type of person where... Um, yeah. You know, focus on the output. What, you know, if it, in school, let's say it's exam results, that's fine. You know, hold me accountable if I have bad exam results. But don't hold me accountable for the process of how I get there, when I get there, how many hours, etc. Now, it's the same in, in work. Um, the type of people I want to work with are also similar people. It's not people that you want to clock watch that they're in there and, you know, how many hours they spend. You purely want to look, look at the output. So, so my, my dream job is to have that freedom but freedom that comes with responsibility and output and, and measurement at the end, you know, because, you know, the game does matter. The, the score of the game does matter. But it's just not that um, kind of complete control of how, how, how you do it. You want freedom there. So speaking of freedom, because I completely agree with you, it's like you'd, I'd rather have 90% freedom and 50% money than 90% money and 50% freedom. But what uh, what kinds of things do you do to bring balance into your life? Because you could quite easily be a workaholic. You could quite easily be one of those people who doesn't have a work-life balance. And maybe, you, you know, you're lucky enough to have discovered that early, maybe later. But I think the key is there for a lot of people who are trying, because you get told you've got to work, 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 work. Uh -huh. And 
actually, that's not great advice all the time. Yeah, yeah if, if uh, a couple of points. The one is, um, you know, kind of I grew up pretty conventionally, you know, Afrikaans, um, where things like loyalty and hard work and kind of, um, you know, studying something to fall back on, you know, that, that the old oh, advice yeah. I gave you. I did all oh, of those yeah. things. I wish somebody at that stage had told me the following recently to take more risks. Um, because the quality of your life is is correlated directly with the amount of risks that you're willing to take. Now, again, I'm not saying stupid risk, you know, they're smart risks. But instead of, um, you know, going to work for that big company and the big brand, um, you're going to learn so much more about starting a small business, even if it fails when you're young. So, so you've, you've definitely um, got to take got to take more risks in life. And, and then uh, you, you asked me, Gareth, about you know, how am I doing it now? I'm, I'm privileged that after having worked very long, very hard for a big corporate and, and set aside a little bit of capital that I was then able to invest, I'm now able to not um, get involved in operational matters anymore. So, um, you know, the customer that phones me, you know, kind of late at night or anything, I, I, I'm involved with great people on a strategic mm. level where I can support them, which is immensely intellectually stimulating, which is also why I like reading or podcasts or whatever, finding more about the world because it helps mm. me give great advice. And then the, all the things I neglected, friends, family, um, body, um, you know, kind of doing more exercise, like quite a few things I'm getting into that I wish I'd known before. Um, I, I, I do want to mention one, which is having a cold swim or bath in the mornings. Um, this is it. it. It really is one of the most amazing things. Um, you do it every day? I, I try to at least three, four, five times a week. Um, okay. I, I, I joke that kind of ESCOM um, is helping South Africans do that as well <laughs> because generating heat in, in water is one of the big uh, very expensive. components of our consumption in a house. But that aside, I think you know that's very healthy, eating more healthy, trying to drink a little bit less red wine. Um, because, you know, we, we can actually expand our lifespan and our health span quite a lot by focusing on some of those type of basics. Well, you remain an example of exactly the kind of entrepreneurship this country needs. And while people will sit and complain that this and that aren't perfect, there are people trying to solve problems. You are at the forefront of that. It's always lovely to spend time with you. And I really appreciate you making some time for us. Um, good luck with all your endeavors. I'm, I'm sure you don't need it, but uh, it's always good to know that there are people like you that are making things better incrementally or exponentially, depending on, on which project we're talking about. So thank you, Michael. Great to see you. Thank, thank you, Gareth. And we need all the luck. All of us need all the luck we can get. <laughs> yeah, that's probably right. <laughs> thank you so much, sir. Nice Very good to you. see you. Thank you. Right. And you. Keep up. Bye-bye.